One Step Forward with Dalton and Sam, helping you take one step forward in your life today. All right, welcome to One Step Forward. This is Sam and Dalton, and we're here to help you take one step forward in your life today. Man, yeah, excited you guys are joining us. I want you to know that uh, Sam and I have just been talking about uh, helping Christians take one step forward. And we started talking about that back in April, and we wanted to interview guests and people who we thought were subject matter experts. And so uh, that's what's brought us here today. Yeah, and so um, we want to take one step forward in in racial unity. Um, We all know that this is a huge topic that is going on right now. But it's actually been going on throughout our, our country's history, and it's just in the forefront of, of, of our, our eyes right now. And so this is something that the church needs to talk about. And I know Christians are asking, what do I do? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? And so I'm excited that we can talk about that today. Uh, excited to have Eric Saunders with us today, McClay Bible Church campus pastor. Man, Eric. Welcome, 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 man. We're glad you're here. Man, what's going on? Glad you guys have it. Man, we, we, we yeah, we're thrilled you're here, man. And and so we're gonna we're gonna put you through just a bunch of questions if that's all right. And uh just like Sam said, just towards taking one step forward in racial unity. Sam, man, fire us off a good question to get us started. Here. Let's do it. Yeah. So the idea of this podcast and this and our YouTube channel and everything is just to help you guys take one step forward in racial unity. And so Today, Eric, uh, what are there's a lot of things going on in our country right now, um, and there's a lot of different emotions and feelings. What are you feeling? What are what's going on in your head, your heart, with when you see all this stuff happening? Yeah, um, I'm sure. I, I I guess, man, I'm sure what I'm feeling is not much different from what a lot of people are feeling, um, but. I think quite likely because of the color of my skin, I think I may have been feeling this a bit longer, right? And so I think right now I'm feeling a gamut of emotions. Like I'm feeling uh, uh, fatigued, right? Uh, sometimes angry, um, at a loss, often on what to do and what to say, but then clinging to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that if our future is secure, if heaven is sure and certain and secure for us, and our future is eternally better than where we sit right now, then um, then there's always hope. And so, you know, we're clinging to that as well. And so I will say it's a midst of all that stuff right now. Yeah. And that, make, that makes sense. It really does make sense. Yeah. Man, I, I want to ask you, just just help help me, help us to kind of understand if, if that's possible, even for a moment. What does it mean or what does it look like to be black in America today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those deals where, like, of course, like, people who aren't Black in America, there's a sense in which, okay, since you're not Black, you won't understand it, but the Scriptures do call us to do certain things, right? The Scriptures call us to bear each other's burdens. The Scriptures calls us to grieve with those who grieve, and a lot of these, um, a lot of these actions involve putting yourself in other people's shoes until you feel what they feel, and so there is an essence in which as believers in Jesus Christ, we can begin to experience and feel what other people feel as we come alongside people in relationships. And so I think your question was, like, what, what, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to be, what, just Black in America today? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it, 
I, I feel like sometimes that's an easy and yet hard question to answer because I don't ever want to give an opinion that uh, the African-American uh, experience is monolith in our country. Mm. And I never want to give the experience that I'm talking on behalf of all black people, right? Um, but um, I think I can say, I guess generally speaking, I think what you're seeing in our world today is, is a bit of that. I think people are tired of having the same conversations, right? Mm. Um, I, I think people are ready to move on towards true racial unity, reconciliation and justice. But every single news headline that we see, it seems to set us back, right? And it seems to be an indication that we are not as far as we think we are. We are not as far as people would claim we are. Um, and it's, it's difficult, it's, it's sad, right? And uh, without hope in Jesus Christ, it, it, could, be a bit, it could be a bit depressing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a minority as an Asian um, yep. American, but, and, and, you know, I've gone through different issues and racial issues and different things, but nothing compared to, to, to what others, what you guys have gone through and, 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 and just the systemic, the structural racism and just the whole thing that is, it's, it's a different, different take and different perspective. And so um, in, in, in your experience being, a Christian, but also being African American male, as well as being a pastor, there's a lot of different buckets you play, and and being in a church that is 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 very well known. McLean um, Bible Church is, is well known in America with a, a pastor that's very well known. Like, how has that experience been as you navigate through that? Because I I I work at I'm an Asian American male working at a predominantly um, you know it's a multicultural church, but you know there's it's it's flavored toward one and two. And sure. so there's different different nuances that I have to walk through and, and understand. So I'm curious for you, like what is mixing all that stuff in? What has your experience been? No, no, I think it's a great question. Um, I think we are um, we're, we're on our way, right? We're, we're we're working towards and we're making progress in these areas. But I'm certain, like you would say, man, we are not perfect, right? And we're not perfect, not because we don't have the perfect structure. I mean, we don't but we're not perfect because everyone in our church is imperfect, right? And so um, in essence, man, I, I don't know if we're gonna have it down until Jesus returns back, but that doesn't make us apathetic towards making progress. And so to be a bit more uh, specific, um, we're working, we're working towards it. I think what complicates things, especially in DC, is that we live very close to the halls of power in our nation. So what complicates this is that many people in our church work on Capitol Hill. They work on a variety of sides of the aisle. And so to express viewpoints, especially when it involves issues like race or even abortion, right? In our people, they've been trained to look at these issues, not as Bible issues, but as, um, uh, but as political issues, right? Sorry, hold up. I uh, am experiencing, okay, got it. Uh, but they, they've been, um, they've been trained to look at these at, as political issues. And so for many of our people, especially people who are new to the Christian faith, it is knee jerk for them. When you hear those things, okay, I need to put on political lenses first before mm. Bible lenses. Mm. And so sometimes it takes a bit of patience to like help disciple people that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is not to be married to any political party. And also what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ 
is to have the willingness to speak truth to your political party. Like you may agree with, like none of us should be completely in bed with any political party. Like we're team Jesus, right? And that's not to say don't pick a political side, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I do think that complicates the, the progression of those issues. But I praise God that over the years that I've been here, um, our leadership has continually um, expressed an increased commitment um, to not only discuss these issues, to not only just merely have sermons when we have another event and then let's just stop until another event happens. But I really do think we're trying to put things into place um, that in, in which we're trying to constantly have these conversations and make sure that our church um, makes um, everyone who would darken the doors of our church feel not as what we call welcomed guests, but everyone feels like family. Mm. And so that's easier said than done, but I think we've expressed the commitment to try to walk the, the hard and yet the hard and awkward <laughs> and yet correct uh, route to get there. So yeah, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. That's really good. Yeah. Eric, where would you say that you've seen, man, the church kind of fall short? And if you were categorically going to say, like, this is one area, man, the church has really fallen short here. And where's an area where you thought, man, the church has really risen to the occasion here? Yeah. Uh, what, what would you say about those two? Uh, yeah, man, it's hard, man. I mean, I'll take it back. Um, I think some people think, I think some people in, uh, especially our church space, thinks that we should start talking about race and talking about racial disunity. I've had many people come to me and say, hey, the people who talk about race are the people who actually are stirring the division. They don't realize that, hey, you know, we're just identifying the problem. We're not, we're not stirring up the problem. But it, it's been a problem. It, it's been a problem that's been old as our nation's history. And it's not just old, it's recent and it's current, right? And then people think that we left it behind, like in the early 1900s, but I can give you kind of my brief history. Uh, I have a mother uh, who was a sharecropper. My mother was a sharecropper in North Carolina, like my mother, one generation. If you didn't know what sharecropping is, sharecropping was pretty much a half step up from slavery, right? Like um, what, what um, in the Reconstruction South, uh, what landowners would do is label ex-slaves sharecroppers to get away with still having people that work the land who were, who were African-American. And my mom was that and was a sharecropper. I mean, it was a more humane version of that, but it was still sharecropping. And she was born in 1956. Uh, my own father went to segregated high schools where he would tell me stories where he would um, be going to school and he experienced uh, people throwing bottles of urine on him while he would just simply try to ride ride his bike and go to school. Mm. That's one generation away. And not only did my my, my um, family or my parents experience that just in general society, you know, their church lives were byproducts of segregation. Like people always talk about, okay, why is there a black church and a white church? Well, we tell people, well, there's a black church because black church won't allow black people weren't allowed in white churches, right? Um, and so for people not understanding that we're still dealing with the residue of that history and we move towards racial reconciliation, which is right and good, before we start dealing with racial justice, hmm. I think that's a huge issue and I think that's a problem in our church. So, I mean, I, I hope, guys, you don't mind if I go in a little bit. No, there, you're, fine. Right? 
You're good. Um, I think if someone wants me to wants me to explain the difference between racial reconciliation and racial justice, in essence, they they're, they're connected. Like I think racial you you could label it like racial reconciliation is is racial justice is something within racial reconciliation. But if I had to define it to racial reconciliation is uh, the act um, by which racial groups achieve harmony and healing, right? I would say racist, racial justice is the act by which wrongs have been righted between racial groups. And so when you look at those two things, there can't be justice without reconciliation. Hmm. And so I think what we've done is we've been too quick to say, let's get together and sing Kubaya, hmm. and we haven't addressed what happened in the past. Hmm. Right, and so it's similar to this. Um, and I hope you don't mind me going in here. Um, I live in a in a place, Arlington, Virginia, where it feels like everybody has a bike and a dog. I don't have a bike and a dog, but everybody else does. Say I had one. Say a friend of mine comes in my backyard and say they take my bike and my dog. They 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 leave. They they're out. But they come back an hour later and they feel bad and they say, Eric, I'm so sorry. I I, I took your bike and your dog, and I, I'm sorry for all the evil that happened to you. Can we be friends? I think you guys know where I'm going. I would say, man, that's great. I'm glad that we, you want to be reconciled. But then but where's the bike and where's the dog? Right? Like, where there's racial reconciliation, there needs to be justice. And we haven't dealt with the first conversation fully as a church. And we've skipped to the second. If we think about this in the context of Holy Week, what we've done is we've skipped over Good Friday and we've rushed to Easter Sunday. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that I bemoan a bit about the, 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 the church in America, that, that, that we, that uh, rushing to racial reconciliation before we actually deal with justice, what it creates is a sense of fake peace and fake unity. Mm-hmm. It's having a church that has a veneer of peace where you have people of different racial groups and different backgrounds who maybe exist together for photo ops. Um, but when you dig beneath the surface, it, the surface is anything but. So I didn't mean to go on a long diatribe, but oh. I, I think that's something that you know, we really do have to do work there. It may feel like we're taking a step back, but I will honestly say we're taking a step forward in doing that. No, I, I absolutely agree with that because um, it, it's easy, like especially if you're in a position of power and you know what you did is wrong, you kind of want to lean toward the, well, I'm sorry, but let's be all friends now. Forgive me now and and let's just move on versus looking back toward, hey, there's some consequences for our actions and we have to pay a price. But when you're in a position of power, you don't really want to let that go or really punish yourself or, or feel the need to, to do that because it's painful. And so I absolutely agree that we can't move forward as a country unless both parties, um, we, we come to, to, to justice and have a sense of like, hey, their wrongs need to be righted. Um, and so yeah. that yeah. absolutely makes sense. No, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. And I think all that begins with the church. Like, if the church really can't begin this conversation and flourish in this conversation, how in the world do we expect the world around us who doesn't have, who don't have Christ? Yeah. You know, and in many ways, I think sometimes our culture has outpaced the church and, yeah. and, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, in the Bible, I think we all want to go toward, Oh, love, lovey dubby forgiveness. Everybody's happy. Let's all hold hands versus God is also a God of justice. God is a God of, equality god is a god of you know a wrath and he, he's his heart is broken i mean and um yeah and, and so absolutely i agree that the church needs to address that more and have a stronger tone and yep. not just let's just love each other so agreed agreed so, so thanks for sharing that that's that's really powerful 
Um, when you, what what so as you see this this landscape of everything that's going on with COVID nineteen, that kind of really threw a lot of, of different things in perspective, as well as now like you know just all the murders and deaths and just the un, injustice and also as well as the pro, the protests and and all these different things, people speaking up. Like, is there what gives you hope, and what gives you encouragement as you see this? That's a great question. I think as an African-American and, and as a pastor, my encouragement is this, and I think this is helpful for um, maybe a variety of minority groups in our country, even around the world, is this. My, per, my primary identity is not victim. My primary identity is victor in Christ, right? I'm a son and daughter of the living God. And so what ultimately gives me hope is that I'm his, right? And he is mine. And that uh, the the Holy Spirit dwells in me, you know, as a uh, as really as a foretaste of what's to come. And there's a certain future, certain, right, in which death will die. There'll be no more racial discrimination and whatever terms you want to love in there. And then there'll come a day when we all exist in full unity, you know, uh, before the before the before the feet of Jesus. And so I, I think uh, that truly does. Uh, give me hope and give me peace as an African-American and as a pastor. But I do think this, if we are actually followers of Jesus Christ, I don't want to skip. I don't want to just skip in our minds towards a new heaven and new earth. Because too many of us do that. Too much use the new heaven and the new earth as an excuse for apathy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I do think the new heaven and the new earth, what it will look like then should drive us to action now. Right. Right. Um, when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Bringing the kingdom of heaven to, re to, to, to reflect and look like, I mean, you look at Matthew 5 and 7, pretty much, what is that? That's kingdom ethics, right? That is allowing the citizens of heaven to have, to, to, to bear on what happens on earth. And so it really does mean that if we actually have hope in heaven, that's going to bear on what we do now. And so that means we need to be vehicles of reconciliation, and justice and righteousness, right? If we truly hope in heaven, right, we'll get to work here. So I think that's what that's what I'll say. Yeah, that's awesome. You said a, a line in the beginning that was just like powerful. You said, and correct me if I'm wrong, you said we, we, we shouldn't be a victim, but we should be victors. What did you say? Say that again. It was powerful. I was saying my primary identity is not victim, right? Like often it's like to use the term that like like people are victimized, right? But um, when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, my primary identity is not victim, <laughs> right? Ephesians 1 says, I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's right. Amen. right? Um, and so, yes, man, th th there is intense pain and suffering and injustices happening specifically mm -hmm. to minority groups and African-Americans in our country. Um, but we have to fight the mentality, even when we are victimized. Yes, we call people out of that. Yes, we speak truth to power, but we can't allow people's actions towards us to label us and to name us like God names us. So, mm, it, amen. Yeah. yeah. Listen, one thing that all of us are is we're all, we're all dads. Yes. We're all husbands, we're all dads. And, uh, I don't know about you, but my kids have been running into my room a whole lot more during this season of COVID and everything. And they're running in, it's keeping them up at night. And so Eric, I want to ask you as a dad, as a father, as a, as, as a man, as a pastor, 
what is keeping you up at night? Besides just your kids, maybe running into your room. What's really on your heart? What's on your soul? Keeping I'll, keep, I'll keep with that theme. It's not even my kids running into my room. It's thinking about what my kids are going to run into when they get older. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if this, if the milieu of our culture exists, they're going to be, ha- they're going to be conversations that I need to have with my little black boys. Um, that there's a lot of people, man, that don't have to have these kind of conversations. And so I dread that, man. I, I, I just dread the day that they go from cute little kids to uh, threats right, in, in, in our culture. So I think what's kept me and my wife up and what gives us grief is um, just their little faces, man, and just knowing that, like, man, there may be people out here who simply think things about you just because like you're darker than it. And, and, and that's a shame. That's a shame. I mean, what keeps me up at night, man, is the lostness in our city, man. That a lot of what we are seeing are people crying out for answers. And I think we're, we're realizing that with all of our technological advancement, we're in 2020. And none of that could, could prevent COVID-19. Like none of that could have prevented what happened to George, to, 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 to George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, or even further back, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Trayvon Martin, Laquan McDonald, all these. None of that prevented that. And so I, I really do hope, man, that this is driving us to our knees and that we'll ask, man, from where comes our help? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so, man, I hope through this, man, people get on their knees and trust in Jesus as Lord and then fight, fight for the equality and justice for all people. So all, all of that stuff, man, keeps me up at night, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I feel for you. I mean, because there's some things that, that you have to go through and your boy will have to go through in conversation that you're going to have to have that I would never have with, with my kids because of even, even though I'm a minority, just because there's a, a different perspective that they have. And so, um, yeah, my heart goes out to you guys. And, and, um, and so there's a lot of conversations that are happening in the church now because of this, like everybody's talking about it. it's on the news. There's, I mean, it's COVID-19 is like stopped everything and it's brought this whole issue up and, and everyone's talking about it. all churches are addressing it with, with, um, with, with guests and, and we are too here. And so as, and you guys are having a lot of conversations, what are the questions that America or maybe the church that is not asking, but it needs to be asked. Mm. No, that, that's a that's a good question, man. Honestly, yeah, I think a question that we're missing. It's gonna sound simple. It, it, it's, it's a question that uh, that you guys asked a version of earlier in this interview. It's the question of this: Yo, can you tell me more about your experience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna sit here and listen. Yo, we live in a world of social media. We live in a world of where everybody has that platform to share their opinion, and what that has killed is the art of listening. Mm-hmm. And where a change starts, really, it's the ability to truly listen. I'm not saying listen to pacify, right? Or listen just to say I listened to check that up on box because somebody told me to do that in a racial justice sermon, right? But uh, I think it is, uh, what's his name? Adam McHugh. He wrote a book called The Listening Life. He had a quote in, our, in that book. I'm about to butcher the quote. But he, get, he said something to the effect of, you truly, you truly listen when you listen and you actually give 
that person the ability to influence you, mm. right? And so I do think we need to do that on, on, on really all sides of the issue. We need to listen in order to be influenced. To as the scriptures say, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Mm. And I think some of the um, some of the continuing distancing between groups right now has happened because we have failed to create environments of grace where people who actually desire to learn can say the wrong thing and receive not just that person being canceled, but gentle correction. Mm. You guys get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, so, so I, I do think when we don't have environments of grace, what tends to happen is what happens in all of our churches. When these events pop up, what happens is people just go to their own spheres of influence with people who look like them and they talk about it because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing because if they say the wrong thing, they'll get pushed aside. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I think for all of us, man, we need to be able and willing to have environments of grace when people can say the wrong thing, be gently corrected, and we can um, we can bear along with people as well, but that people are willing to receive rebuke, not as from a person judging them, but as from a fellow brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And I think mm-hmm. the church can lead that discussion because we realize that Jesus has been all of that to us, mm. right? Yeah. The, the environment that we operate in our salvation is one of grace. He's gentle with us. He's forgiving to us. When we say the wrong things to him, he, he's, he's fine with that. We have a whole subsection of the Psalms, the, the, the Psalms of Lament, where you see psalmists saying things that you tempted to read and say, yo, this sounds like the wrong thing you should say to God. And God doesn't rebuke those people. God actually includes those prayers in the canon of scripture, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I do think if we imitate God in that way, if we create environments of grace, those questions of, of just like, hey, tell me more about your experience, those will take more traction and we'll be able to listen more to one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think that's, I think the title of this is like the next step. I think that's a simple next step <laughs> that we can take. No, that, I think that's so powerful just because you're right. A lot of us were scared uh, of being politically incorrect or, offending people so that that fear stops us from even asking or even yeah. or even engaging the conversation and even if we do you're right we don't listen well because as you spoke i just thought about my wife like whenever she, we have a fight and she says you know let's talk about it i say oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and i want to cut the conversation off because i'm done and i think if i just say sorry we don't have to talk about it Yo, Sam, I thought I thought when you said uh, when you said I thought about my wife. I was like, oh snap, where is he going here? <laughs> we're, we're tight, we're tight. She she would totally agree. But I I cut the conversation off because I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to listen to her issue because I think I just said sorry. We should we should move on. But that's not that's not the Christian way to to deal with conflict because I have to really engage and understand her side and her pain before I can really move on with her even though I think I'm good. So, I mean, magnifying that with even just this racial issue, I, I totally agree. I think we need to listen more and, and it's easier for us to just shut it off because it's painful to us here, but that's not true growth and reconciliation or justice even. Yeah, for sure. Sam, and I, and I will say this too. I think a lot of the reason why we fail to listen is because we live in a culture that idolizes efficiency, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And to like actually listen to someone, to bear someone's burdens, to actually hear their pain, it takes time, and we think that if we hear somebody talk for about five minutes, we have all that we need, and we can move on to address the problem, yeah. and we've done that for too long. 
Mm. And so like, I'm gonna tell you racial reconciliation and the work towards racial justice is really efficient. And so I, I think, I think we gotta, we gotta, we gotta sit in that. Yeah, it's gonna take a lot of time. Now. Yes. One of my closest, closest, dearest friends, um, and he, he's, uh, he's Hispanic and closest brother, like in ministry, he's, you know, sharp guy and a pastor. And uh, man, we've been friends for uh, about eight years. And uh, I've just, I've never slowed down to pause and ask the question. I'm like, do you face any discrimination? And like this week, I'm like, just now I'm like, to my best bud, I've never even paused to ask him. I'm like, I'm like, man, do you, do you face anything? You know, as, 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 as an Hispanic American, he's like, kind of chuckles like, yeah. He's like, I said, how many times in 2020? Like, here I am. Like, this is one of my best friends, right? I'm like, how many times in 2020? He's like, I don't know, five, six at least. And I'm, I didn't even know what to respond. And so I was like, God, forgive me for not even asking the question for a brother that I, I dearly love. Like, I, I love this brother dearly. And I'm like, God, like, I didn't even ask the question. I didn't even push pause long enough to want to listen more than just beyond a a five minute talking point and it, like you referred to Eric. And so I just, I just wanted to listen to what he had to say and to hear him. And I, and I just thought, and, and my, kind of flows into the next question I want to ask is, is how should the church respond, Eric? What does the church need to do? How do we need to respond? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll give you a few ways and, I, and I'm sure you've heard this somewhere before, man, that this is not new. Um, and I've said it before, I, I think first we need to lament. And I've said some, some version of this already. I think we, we need to lament that the world is messed up. Uh, I told you before, we tend to be too triumphal as a culture. And we skip over the sadness to the happiness. I think we've watched too many Disney movies, right? And the happily ever after, we think it should take place in about an hour and a half, right? But God, but God has given us a whole language in the Bible, lament for us to just simply express that this is messed up and we don't have answers, right? Um, so I, I do think we need to lead towards acknowledging God and lament. I think we taught this before. We really do need to listen to each other, truly listen, right? And I think we need to lead in our lever in our areas of influence. Because here's a, the reason why things haven't changed is because I, I do think there's been many white and African American people who have come to the table to talk. But um, I think a lot of my white brothers and sisters, when they've left that table, they haven't led well in their spheres of influence. But there are people who will hear me talk right now and they will not listen to me because they think I'm coming from a, a platform of self-interest, right? But they will listen to family members of people who look like them. And so I know that that occurs loss, that, that may possibly encourage you being labeled something or maybe losing relationships. But for us to actually express or, or move forward in this conversation, that needs to happen. And so we need people that lead in the area of influence, but lead like Jesus Christ led. Philippians 2 says he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself a servant, right? Um, like we were talking about a book earlier, Corey, Corey Evers' book, The Elusive Dream. Right? The reason why many multi-ethnic churches in America only exist because um, at, at the rate that white people feel uncomfortable, it's because white norms in worship, white culture, has been normatized in worship. It's considered default, so everything else is deviant. So what it might mean to lead in an air of influence like Christ is to be a servant and let go of our uh, preferences in worship. Matter of fact, 
first acknowledge their preferences, right? Things like style of music, style of preaching, and, and beyond that, right? It, it's much deeper than that. But acknowledge those preferences and be willing to release those for the sake of unity. And so to put a cap on it, um, I, I really do think it is lamenting, it is listening, and it's leading like Jesus in our spheres of influence. It's mm, good. Yep. That's really good. I love that. So as we're kind of wrapping up and you just dropped so much gold truths and, and, and nuggets, um, there's people that are going to be listening. They're all, all in different spectrums of their faith journey. Some are going to be veteran Christians, been walking with God for a while and maybe done a lot of social justice issues and different things. And then you have someone that may be a baby Christian that's just figuring things out and, and new to the faith and new to this whole issue. And, and, and so there's a, a big spectrum but regardless of that spectrum, what would you recommend? What would you suggest that a Christian do at least today or this week to at least take one step forward in, in, in racial unity, racial justice, racial reconciliation? What would you suggest? Yeah, man, um, I, I think I want to give some helpful tips to maybe everyone who's watching. I, I, I don't know the, the range of this interview, but I don't want to always I don't want to ever assume that people actually have access to people who look like them. I know I live in uh, who don't look like them. Like I know I live in DC. We're a melting pot. And Sam, I know you're out in California. I know Dalton, you, you're in Hampton Rose. I know all these places are places in which, man, they they, they are are um, they're melting pots. But they areas of our country. They are they aren't. And so I don't want I don't want even right now if you can. Yes, man, build relationships with people who don't look like you. But some people don't have access to that. But I do think one simple way that we can do right now is, man, read something. Like there is no reason for us to be uninformed. Like we live after the invention of the printing press. We live in the world, live in the world of the world, worldwide web, right? You can get anything at the snap of a finger. And so that there are so many resources that you can point to that will begin to expose to you to really the problems that we're facing right now and, all, and, and to some good solutions by people who've been practicing these things for a while, right? For, for longer than I've been alive. And so I think my, my suggestion is to read, to become aware, right? And before you read a book, to open your Bible, right? Because mm -hmm. I think we need to open our Bible. We need to read that text. I think we, we should read other people who, do, who don't look like us, who've read, our, who, who've read their Bibles too. Because often their experiences will allow them to see things in the Bible that you're tempted to dismiss and gloss over, right? So I tell people, start with the Bible, read other stuff, and allow mm -hmm. what you're reading to lead you back to the Bible. Mm, that's good because it can be very tempting for you to start reading other things and those things start to lead you away from the bible mm. right that's so start good. with the bible work your way out to read about these issues and then work your way back that's so that's, that's that's my practical what, what what would you have like one to two books that you say hey these are like good books to start out with that you'd recommend man that, that's a good book i mean that's a good question Honestly, I would say probably introductory level. Uh, Trillia Newbill writes a book about, man, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but Trillia Newbill, T-R-I-L-L-I-A Newbill, writes a book about um, really uh, uh, just race and unity in our world. I would suggest that one. Uh, I would suggest John Perkins' book, Dream With Me. It's, it's, it's an incredible book. And then if you want to become just more aware of the issues and how they affect church, I would definitely recommend the book Divided by Faith by uh, Michael Emerson. That, that's more of a, a, of a technical book. But if you really want to hear like data, if that's, if that's your mind, like go to that book. So 
Off the top of the head, th those are three. That's great. Yeah, yep. Definitely. Guys, I want to – man, stories are so important. And I, I kind of – I would like us all just to share even just one story just in closing today of uh, just uh, what's been happening just as it relates to the conversation of, of race in our life. And, and it could be recent. It could be from – uh, far back and, and Eric you've even shared uh, different stories even from your parents but I just wanted us all just kind of end uh, just with one personal story if we don't mind just just sharing it Eric we'll start with you and then Sam and, and then I'll, I'll share kind of a, a story too um, as well but I love just to hear just kind of one closing story uh, real life what's happened and so in, in your own life yeah so you mean more of a story of what racial like uh, of reconciliation or Anything related to race as, it, as it's happened in your life or an experience that you've had or something uh, that you've witnessed, that something uh, related to race or race, racial reconciliation or uh, any type of, I've left it broad for you um, or want it to be broad for you, uh, just as it relates to this conversation of, of, of race. Is there any story? Yeah, no, 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 I, no, I appreciate you. You, you asking? Um, I, I mean, for me, um, I think uh, I would share the uh, really the story of my home church pastor. Man, my home uh, church pastor grew up. He grew up in Washington D.C. He's not there anymore. Um, pastor Alan McFarland, and um, he he is a pastor in um, in Portsmouth, Virginia. I think you're nodding because you probably know him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is the person that I look to that has led the way in these kind of conversations. He's a person that has experienced far more than I've ever experienced. He's experienced racism. He grew up in South Carolina. Um, and yet, in his older age, he still has the energy and the strength to go on. And so his story, as an African-American male who has experienced racism and hardship in his lifetime, and who is still loving and leading not just his African-American neighbors, but also fellow minorities and, and, and white brothers and sisters as well. His story gives me hope that if he's not tired, I shouldn't be tired. You know, it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of like that with uh, an old person is on the track and like he's still running and you tip it to give up. You're like, no, nah, I can't give up. Like he's still running, <laughs> right? Uh, and so not only does looking forward to the future and to the heaven gives me hope, his story gives me hope. And so, uh, I mean, I want to take this moment to honor people like Alan McFarland and even the pastor of the church I just came from, uh, Pastor James White in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, who, who's been about this life well before, not at, well before this conversation, well before I was born. And so uh, I honor those guys, man. I'm going to share their stories every chance I get. That's awesome. Thank you. Sam, what about you, man? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different stories as I've, you know, just been processing and going through my own emotional journey and just talking with our staff members and talking with our family. And I think even last night, dinner time, just talking about it with my kids um, and, and, and just sharing what's going on. And they're asking questions like, what do you mean the police? Like, would, aren't the police good? Mm. Yeah, the police are good, but they're always good. And for some people, it's a different experience. And so it was just like when you were sharing, Eric, just like, yeah, there's, there's a different conversation that I'll have my kids have an understanding versus your kids. And and it's just, it breaks my heart because my kids, you know, they, they don't understand it. And, but I want to teach them that. And I want them to know that because I don't know if you can hear them, they're like going crazy, but, um, but yeah. So I think it's just an eye opening experience of like, man, like it's my responsibility to train my, my kids to help them know 
and see this so that they can be different and treat um, others differently and do something different. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I just think of the, the idea that we must be intentional. We must be intentional yeah. and with our kids. And I, I wanted, and, and Sam, I didn't know you were going to share that. I, I wanted to share something that my son, he, uh, I feel like my, my son who's just finished second grade grabs my phone and is on my phone when it's at home more than I know where it's at. So if you all are ever calling me and my son answers, it's because literally my kids have it. But I want to read you a note that uh, he wrote on my phone. I didn't know it. Uh, May 29th, 2020, at 434, he wrote this note. I, I want to share with you guys. Said some things are sad like murder. Murder is horrible. Me, I hate it. But what I hate is dark skin getting murdered. And he's got like a mean face emoji there. He says, it is the worst. It is the worst thing that Americans could do. Why would you trust policemen if they murder others that don't deserve it like murder? He's got a crying face, a crying emoji. He says, to think about it, We've never been united. If you care about America, then do not do dumb things, but good things. And that is what I think we Americans should do. Wow. My son. And I just want to say that uh, we got a lot more conversations that we need to continue to have. The point people to Christ. And that's it. It's, it's, pointing people back to their only hope too, as you said, Eric, Jesus. And uh, I just want to say just, uh, just thank you for taking time to talk with us today and uh, just to share your voice and helping us to take one step forward. And uh, we, we need to take it. Look at that, Sam. She precious, man. Look at that. Look at that smile. Look at that smile. But just thank you, Eric, yeah, again. Just for being my five-year-old Zoe. Zoe. Hey. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. You can edit that part. Really? I love it, man. If you wouldn't mind, man. Sorry, my internet is really unstable right now. I have a wiggly tooth. Hey, hey. All right, I'm going to take a moment to pray for us, all right? Sounds great. Thanks, Eric. Let's go for it. Uh, Father God, today um, I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for who you are, what you've done for us. I'm grateful that we were, when we were completely lost and dead in our sins, uh, that you, the author of salvation, would send your son, Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, you, the God man, would come willingly, that you would live a perfect life and die a death on the cross in our, on, on our behalf, in our place for our sins. So that if we trust and believe in you, we can have eternal life and have a relationship with you. Oh, Father God, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ can unite your people truly that God, that we will, um, that we will know the power of the gospel as it relates to racial justice in our world. Oh, oh, oh Father God, I pray desperately um, that the righteous anger that many people feel that it will be directed to obeying you, that it will be directly uh, uh, pointed towards enacting justice and righteousness and um, reconciled relationships in this world. And I pray that people will be able to peer into the walls of our churches and declare truly the Lord is here 
because the unity that we see here are, is not taking place outside of these walls. So Father, will you do that? We can't do that on our own. We desperately need your move. So Father, we depend on you. We hope in you and we wait expectantly. And even with that said, we declare now, come Lord Jesus. God, we can't wait for the day in which uh, that you will return. And as Revelation 21 says, there'll be no more tears. Mm. So until that day we wait, until that day we work in your power and your strength. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.